0: If you're enjoying History Extra Long Reads, make sure you follow us to keep up to date and get all the latest episodes. Thank you for your support. I hope you enjoy this episode. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg.
1: In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker.
0: At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See centre for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Hello and welcome to History Extra Long Reads, where we take a deep dive into the past, bringing you the very best of BBC History magazine with fascinating articles from leading historical experts, powerful foes, Chronic starvation and hostile landscapes. The First Crusade, an 11th century armed pilgrimage to the holy city of Jerusalem, overcame seemingly insurmountable challenges. In today's long read, I draw on the expertise of leading medieval historians to reveal how zeal, strategy, and sheer luck secured military success for this ambitious campaign. Today's feature originally appeared in the December 2023 issue of BBC History magazine and has been voiced in partnership with the Royal National Institute of
1: Blind People. After three long years, the campaign reached its climax. In June 1099, a Crusader army arrived outside Jerusalem and stared up at its towering walls. From late 1095, men, women, and children from Western Europe had left their homes and set out east on a vast military expedition that would take them to the Holy Land. Now, after enduring lightning ambushes, desperate sieges, and periods of near starvation, the jewel in the crown of Christendom was in their sights. But not yet within their grasp. Between the Crusaders and the conquest of Jerusalem stood the city's determined defenders. These troops of the Fatimid Caliphate, a Shia Muslim empire spanning North Africa and parts of the Near East, with its capital in Cairo, guarded a population of perhaps 20,000 Muslims, Jews, and Eastern Orthodox Christians massed within. At first, the defenders prevailed, resisting everything the increasingly frustrated crusader forces could throw at them. But then, after weeks of skirmishes, and as a last resort, the nobleman Godfrey of Bouillon used a siege tower to gain a priceless toehold on the walls to the north of the city and was able to open the nearest gate. Hundreds of crusaders poured in. In the searing heat, simmering anger and frustration was unleashed, and a number of the inhabitants were slaughtered. When the dust settled, Godfrey was declared defender of the Holy Sepulchre, ruler in all but name. The Holy City was finally in the hands of the Crusaders. The capture of Jerusalem was a bloody catastrophe for its inhabitants. Indeed, the campaign that preceded it and others that followed, along with the partisan European views of these events, continue to be problematic in modern eyes. Yet in purely military terms, the conquest of Jerusalem was an astonishing victory for those Christian attackers, and the culmination of one of the most unlikely, against the odds endeavors of the entire Middle Ages, the First Crusade. The spark that lit the tinder for this campaign was Pope Urban II's famous rallying cry at the Council of Clermont on the 27th of November, 1095, when he exhorted people across Western Europe to take up arms and free the Holy Land from Seljuk Muslim rule. To those listening, the magnitude of the military adventure he was proposing must have been clear. In the late 11th century, simply embarking on a pilgrimage was considered dangerous enough. The idea of leaving home for several years, trekking thousands of miles across continents to fight an enemy in utterly alien terrain, was nothing short of extraordinary, and the perilous nature of the task ahead clearly weighed heavily on the minds of crusaders and their families. Contemporary accounts record that women wept copiously, wondering if they would ever see their husbands again, says Danielle Park, teaching fellow at the University of Leicester. They had every reason to worry. Facing perilous mountain passes and vast, arid plains, the Crusaders encountered landscapes radically different from Western Europe. Without accurate maps, they also had little idea of where they were going or what they would find when they arrived. By the time they reached Asia Minor and then the Levant, the Muslim lands of the Near East comprising what is today Syria, Lebanon, Israel and the Palestinian territories and Jordan, they were exhausted and facing an unfamiliar and hostile population they struggled to understand. Many of their friends had died, they had suffered starvation to the point of cannibalism and witnessed things that would make anyone recoil in terror. The first crusade should not have been successful, yet it was. How were the crusaders able to pull off this medieval feat of arms? Urban's original motivation for issuing his fateful call to arms continues to spark debate. Certainly, that rallying cry was a direct response to a plea for help from the Byzantine emperor Alexios I Komnenos, ruled 1081 to 1118. Since the 1060s, Christian Byzantine forces had been engaged in a conflict with the Sunni Muslim Seljuk Empire, a rival power to the Fatimids that had conquered much of Anatolia and the Near East. The Byzantine Empire had long been the dominant force in the eastern Mediterranean and was now pushing to win back lost territory. Alexios needed western knights to beef up his campaign against the Seljuks and recapture lands to the east. Alexios's appeal to Urban seemed to offer a solution to two issues troubling that pope in the 1090s. The first was faltering papal authority. The second was a surfeit of aggressive knights lacking outlets for their martial energies. A hugely ambitious military campaign to the Holy Land promised to tackle both problems in one fell swoop. So Urban wove his narrative like a medieval spin-doctor, claiming back for Christendom the Holy Land, the location of Jesus Christ's burial, crucifixion, resurrection and ascension, and promising salvation to those who joined the cause. The result was an explosion of religious fervour that inspired tens of thousands across Europe, mostly from France, but also from Iberia to England and from the Italian peninsula to the German states, to rally to the crusading cause. Some, of course, joined for other reasons, a sense of honour or simply because they had no choice other than to follow their lords. That fervour remained largely undimmed when, from late 1096 through to early 1097, the Crusader armies gathered at the Byzantine capital, Constantinople, before crossing the Bosphorus and marching through Asia Minor, and it carried those forces all the way to Jerusalem. Religious seal alone can't explain the success of the First Crusade, Another factor was the state of play in the Near East at the time, where their Muslim foes were riven by infighting and destabilized by power vacuums. One poet described 1094 as the year of the death of caliphs and commanders, with chaos roaring across the Muslim Near East. The tumult had begun two years earlier, in 1092, when Nizam al-Mulk, vizier of the Seljuk Empire, was assassinated. That same year, the Seljuk Sultan, Malik Shah I, also died in suspicious circumstances. Then in 1904, al-Muqtadi, the Sunni caliph of Baghdad, died along with al-Mustansir, the Fatimid caliph and his vizier. In short, internal strife was weakening Muslim powers in the region, notably the Seljuk and Fatimid empires. In the space of a few years, the leadership across the Muslim Near East had been removed, says Jonathan Phillips, Professor of Crusading History at Royal Holloway, University of London. All those decades of experience were wiped out. As a result, authority fragmented across the region. Rivalries that had built up over decades spilled over into conflict. So when the Crusaders arrived, they were not confronted by a unified opposition. It wouldn't be an exaggeration to say that had the First Crusade turned up in 1090 it would not have got past its first obstacle, argues Phillips. Such was the strength and organizational ability of the Seljuks, the Crusaders' main foe. Many Muslim towns and cities were distracted by their internal woes and were unprepared to deal with the sudden arrival of a huge Crusader army on their doorstep. Every town decided what to do for itself, and this often depended on who was ruling there, says Suleiman A. Murad, Myra M. Sampson, professor of religion at Smith College, Massachusetts. Some fled in fear, whilst others thought they could make a deal with the Crusaders. Another aspect helping the Crusaders push East was the fact that much of the population of the Near East was Christian. Many of the towns en route to the Holy Land had been ruled by Muslims for just a few years. For example, Nicaea, an ancient Greek city in northwestern Asia Minor which fell to the Crusaders in June 1097, had been ceded by the Byzantines to the Seljuks as recently as 1081. As a result, locals were often much more supportive of the Crusaders than we might initially imagine, for some of them. The First Crusade was not a war of religion but rather a means of ejecting a hostile occupying force. This resentment against Muslim rule had major repercussions during the siege of Antioch, October 1097 to June 1098. That Seljuk Turk-held city lay on the Crusaders' route to Jerusalem through Syria. It proved a fiendishly tough nut to crack, and by early 1098, huge numbers of Crusaders were dying of starvation outside its walls. Fortunately for them, they had an inside man. An Armenian guard in Antioch, Firouz, struck a deal with the Crusader leader, Bohemond of Taranto, to allow the latter's army to pour into the city and capture it. Once Antioch was taken, it was not only the Crusaders who massacred the Turkish garrison, but also the local Christian population. Yet, to ascribe the First Crusade's success to Muslim in fighting alone, or to the help of sympathetic locals, is to do the Crusaders a disservice, argues Steve Tibble, Honorary Research Associate at Royal Holloway, University of London. This was, at times anyway, an impressively executed military campaign. The Crusaders were brave and well-motivated and had some very aggressive entrepreneurial generals, Tibble explains. These commanders were more like trade union conveners than dictators, making strategic decisions based on group discussions, and there was a logic to their choice of targets. They attacked Nicaea to rid the Byzantines of a nearby Seljuk hub, Antioch, to establish a defendable base en route to Jerusalem. The First Crusade also benefited from the fact that many of those involved were well-versed in the ways of war before they'd even contemplated a military campaign in the east. In the 11th century, Western Europe was a fragmented, fractious place. Elites held sway through what were in effect military protection rackets. Violence was already inherent in the system, and after years of dangerous travel and combat had winnowed out weaker and less accomplished fighters, those crusaders who eventually reached Jerusalem were the best equipped and militarily most skilled. The fact that the enemies were unfamiliar to each other also aided the crusaders. On this campaign they mostly faced Seljuk forces, that even while weakened by infighting boasted what was probably the best light cavalry in the world. But while the new opponents were still getting the measure of each other, they tended to avoid open combat, which would have left the Crusaders' slower heavy cavalry and other troops at risk. Perhaps the European army's greatest advantage during the First Crusade, though, was their unity. There were times, of course, when that unity came under enormous pressure. Language differences, bickering commanders with competing agendas, disease and starvation in an alien and often unforgiving landscape all stretched the bonds linking the crusaders to breaking point. Yet those bonds never quite snapped. Whatever it was that drove the Crusaders, religious zeal, honor, money, land, all those things coalesced in an ability to stay together, says Phillips. And they stayed together until the Crusaders reached their ultimate goal in the burning heat of the decisive summer of 1099 Jerusalem. Today's
0: long read was written by me, Emily Briffitt, History Extra's podcast editorial assistant and host of our new podcast series. The First Crusade, the war that transformed the medieval world. Thanks again to the Royal National Institute of Blind People for their help voicing this article, which first appeared in the December 2023 issue of BBC History magazine.